Hi, and welcome to the Religion and Story podcast with your host, Stephen, Daniel, and Michael Crouch. All right. On today's podcast, we are going to be talking about singing. Now, when we say singing, we could go a lot of different directions with that. But first, we want to think about singing in the context of a worship service. Now, for most congregations, they spend well over half of the time that they're gathered singing praises to God. So it's fairly important. We could go to Scripture and talk about uh, why we sing, uh, the different commands to sing, or how singing is just an outflow of uh, our praise to God. But today we're going to be leading off with the question, what makes for a better worship service? Uh, When you think about worship services that draw you closer to God, what do you think of? So Daniel, let me hand it off to you to answer that question. What makes for a good worship service? So, like you said, uh, the majority of the worship service is, in fact, singing. Um, And that's really what a lot of uh, Christians and churchgoers are looking for when they choose a congregation, is the kind of singing at that church. Um, Is it the kind of singing that they like? Um, That... I, I might go as far as to say that that influences a lot of people's decision on where they decide to place membership even more than um, the preaching pers- um, or the classes. And so I, th- that is huge in affecting the the congregation and those choosing to come to your congregation. Uh, a couple things that I think of uh, initially is that you want singing that crosses generational divides. So um, I think a good worship service includes a lot of songs that are both new um, and a lot of songs that are old. And we'll probably get into this later. I'm not really a huge fan of uh, some newer songs, and but I think that I can... I can suck it up and deal with that um, for because I know that uh, a lot of young people do, and while a lot of older people may like older songs, and so we we want that whole scope of music. Um, another thing is that I think is important is a song leader who is um, both engaging the congregation and making the singing of these hymns more than just a rote activity that, uh, that the congregation does more than just say the words, um, and hit the notes that the singing is another vital part of the worship service alongside, uh, the Lord's supper and the sermon and other parts. Stephen, do you have, um, any initial ideas for, Uh, what makes a good worship service and what congregations can be doing to have an effective worship service? Well, uh, as dumb as the answer might sound, I think that a good worship service is one where there is a focus on the worship. And if uh, whatever it takes as far as leading new songs or the style of the preacher uh, leading old songs, if you are able to get the congregation to engage and give genuine worship to God, you know, by definition, that is a good worship service because it's about God, whether uh, you personally enjoy the songs or how well they're written or not. Can you, as a participating member of the church, uh, grow closer to God and offer praise to Him? 
now there are certain melodic tunes and uh, uh, arrangements of songs that are more appealing to the ear. Um, and so that is what I enjoy more when I'm seeing. But does that make a difference if I'm enjoying it or uh, am I listening to the words as slow or as uh, fast uh, or that the beat may take the lyrics? Um, are the words guiding my mind to how I, how I feel about God? Uh, am I looking at my relationship with God and re-examining myself and thinking about who my creator is? That is what really comes down to um, making, what it comes down to is making a good worship service. Um, There's plenty of things that can make me enjoy a worship service, the, and I, I feel I, I can feel the energy of a congregation. But does that really make the worship better? Just because um, it's uh, more heartfelt and you enjoy the songs more, you're belting out louder tunes. Partly, yes. So don't get me wrong, but you have to gen genuinely be thinking about what the words you're saying and offering praise to God. Uh, so, uh, but other things that I think that I think can contribute to a good worship service would be uh, a song leader that can remind you about why you're doing what you're doing um, uh, and. There, there's a moment for upbeat songs, and there's also a moment for uh, songs that, you, you know, that'll make you remember the sacrifice that Jesus went. They're a little bit more, uh, not mellow, but um, uh, softer and slower that will make you think about what the story is. Uh, I come to the garden alone, something like that. Exactly. Um, other things that make a good worship service would be um, an arrangement on a theme. Um if uh, you're having a sermon series on prayer, you're wanting everybody to uh, to focus about what it is uh, to pray to God. And can are there songs out there that will, again, reinforce that uh, we're praying to God through our songs? I mean, that's something that is possible to do. So I think themes uh, are very effective as well because... Uh, I'm a soccer coach. Whenever I'm coaching and or uh, preparing for a soccer practice, there's a specific theme that if you can narrow it down to a certain thing, it's much easier to guide people's um, attention and um, you're able to focus on specific things that you can help better people at. Uh, Michael, did you have a, a few thoughts on what makes a good worship service? Sure. So... One thing that I think about on this topic is the same thing that I heard over and over and over again for the eight years that I went to a Christian summer camp. We would have a class on singing, and the very first uh, phrase that would come out of the teacher's mouth during our, our singing class every single year, and so I'm just saying, I'm repeating this to show how much emphasis he put on it. He would always say, words have meaning. And the reason he would say that in a singing class is because too often when we're singing, we focus more on the music uh, than we do on the words that are being said. And that's the difference between Christian worship and just everyday music. In fact, some people will accuse Christians of, 
of they're like, oh, well, they have a different type of music. Well, the, the what gives meaning to our music, to our singing, is the words. It is the theology that is spelled out. Now, some people might accuse us of trying to rip out all of the feeling. Out, out, we accuse us of ripping out the emotions from the worship service. But I would say that if you don't have meaning, if you don't have uh, a theology of who God is undergirding your worship, then you've missed the point completely about what it is. And, and so I'm, I'm really just echoing what y'all have said. Uh, I, I wrote down what y'all said. Y'all, y'all were talking about engaging in worship, uh, focusing on worship. Well, what are we engaging with or focusing on? It's, it's, it's the way that we communicate theology. It's the way we communicate how we feel about God. We put that into words. It's the way we communicate who God is. We're not only saying that back to God, but we're also saying it to the people around us. There's a communal theology that takes place during worship. Um, and at the same time, we're trying to say the things that we don't have words for. Uh, this is, I think, best said in, I think I'm getting this right, uh, listen to our hearts. Uh, we will use the words we know to tell you what an awesome God you are, but words are not enough. So we acknowledge that there is something that happens in the worship setting, in singing, that goes beyond the words that we have. Um, Daniel, I'll, I'll also mention, uh, just reiterate one of the things that you said. You said that it crosses generations. I think it's important for us, especially young people or people who might like newer songs, to realize uh, that... Uh, the songs that we sing are not only songs that we're singing right now, but we're, they're tied to memories. Uh, when I sing uh, Amazing Grace, yes, it's a classic hymn that Christians around the world have been singing for hundreds of years, but it takes my mind somewhere. It reminds me of uh, maybe a sermon that I heard about grace or the story behind the song or uh, a, a, a camp setting where, where I remember hearing it after seeing a baptism. And when we stop singing songs, um, sometimes we don't sing them for good reasons because they've lost communal meaning. But we might be taking away someone's memories. We might be taking away a memory that someone had tied to a specific song. But at the same time that I say that uh, we should cross generations backwards, we should also be aware that uh, new songs have a place in our worship service, and they make for a better worship service because new songs make us rethink our theology. They make us rethink um, what we're saying in our worship service. Um, can I can I ask you a question about the uh, the need for uh, repeating or uh, archiving, not archiving, but keeping around old songs? Sure. Um, so is that something that is an actual issue? Do you think that is a problem if we are putting or shelving old songs away? Because put it from a secular point of view, if there's a song that I really like that starts losing airtime on the radio, I can call up the radio station and say, why aren't you playing this song anymore? And they'll be like, well, it's not popular or we don't have enough time to play it. I mean, they're doing a disservice to me. Uh, or do we really need to care if mm-hmm. uh, somebody right. may have lost their memory? Or is that, you know, uh, just 
sugarcoating it for everybody that, oh, everybody gets their say of what songs we sing. So there's a couple of ways to answer that question, and it's a, it's a very appropriate question for our conversation today. First, let me, let me help us think about it in one way. Um, so Isaac Watts is considered one of the greatest songwriters of all time. Uh, some people have said that the greatest Christian hymn is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. It's rich in theology. It's, it's a sermon in, by itself. Um, so, so Isaac Watts wrote that, and we will forever be grateful to him. But he also wrote several thousand songs, thousands and thousands of them. That's what he did. Are we going to sing all of his songs? Obviously not. There are a few of his songs that have stood the test of time that we will continue to sing for hundreds and hundreds of years. So in some ways, it's appropriate to shelf songs just because, uh, to use your, you know, radio station, uh, idea, they're B-sides. You know, they weren't his best songs. Uh, yes, they were communicating a Christian message, but they didn't really, um, break through to Christians uh, of of his time or of our time. But, le- but let me also say that for some songs that are shelved today, that perhaps an older, older generation likes, I, I would say this, uh, perhaps we don't give voice to everyone in the congregation. Depending on how your congregation works, you might have one person, the song leader, picking out the songs. You might have the song leader and the preacher working together. Or you might even have a worship committee that gets together to talk about what songs will be sung for the next week or the next month. But that inherently leaves out the voice of dozens, hundreds of members. Um, and we need to remember that we're not just singing for ourselves. We are singing for the entire congregation. We can't make everyone happy every week. But we can be mindful of all generations, of all different tastes of who likes different types of music. I've talked too much. What else should we be we be focusing on? I'll just say if Isaac Watts wrote a thousand songs or over a thousand <laughs> songs and only one of them caught on, then maybe he wasn't that good of a songwriter. Okay, so, okay. so <laughs> let's, we're not going to get into too much church history here. But Stephen, you know probably a dozen of his songs. Uh, you also probably know five or six Fanny J. Crosby songs, and she wrote over a thousand. Um, the great song leaders write hundreds, or, you know, hundreds of songs, and may, most of them just end up in their journal. Many of them are still on our pages today. So. Fanny J. Crosby was she part of the Stills and Nash group? Uh, <laughs> a Crosby, Crosby, Newton, and uh, and Stan and Stanson Bacter. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay. Well, can I, uh, I want to respond to a couple of things that you said, Michael. First, um, I'll just thank you for clarifying that idea I had at the beginning. Um, yeah, I, by no means I mean to insinuate oh, that no, I agree we want uh, songs from uh, new and old songs just so on the bulletin that week we have some that say PowerPoint and some that have a number <laughs> by them. Um but yeah, it, it's there. There is importance to having these songs. Well, some give you a thread to the past, and others are trying to push the congregation forward. If if they're good songs, um, and uh, another thing that both of y'all talked about, and I mentioned myself, is the words are important for songs, um, and I think that's their their greatest importance. But I also just want to throw out. Um, uh, 
just uh, the idea that as Christians, we create art um, for God, right. uh, for for society and also for God. That's part of the idea behind the title for our podcast, Religion and Story, that there's this, uh, there's this other element to our faith, this creative element. Um, Acapella, a Church of Christ singing group, um, they famously have a song called The Law Song, which has very few um, words in it. Uh, they sing law for most of the song. And that is spot on, Michael. Thank you. Yeah, we should have had uh, someone (laughs) sing a bit of every song that we reference. But, um, and and Michael, you've actually told me stories about people commenting on that song, but it's important to note that um, beyond the the words that are important for us and in some way important to God, the, the quality of the music is us, Um, using our talents to glorify God. So if we just made a song that we're singing law the entire time, but we, the music is something beautiful that there, there is a value to that. I I would say it's a secondary value, but there is value there. Nonetheless, Uh, we've actually had arguments with our father about um, the, the use of like amens in songs where you go on for five minutes at the end of the song singing amen. And there's no real value to those words um, but it adds to the beauty of the music. The, the sevenfold amen that is at the end of a classic hymn, I never actually learned where the amens go, so I just kind of chime in with an amen every... <laughs> I think it's appropriate. You know, uh, amen, amen. <laughs> um, let me also... You're making me think about two other things. that Are you talking about the hymns. Lord bless you and keep you? Yes, that's the one. Yeah. No, <laughs> nobody knows how that goes. <laughs> I mean... I'm pretty sure I do eight amens every time just to show I have no idea what's happening. I do six, you do eight. Yeah, yeah I'll average it out. Um, let, let me also put in, put forward the idea of the idea that we recycle hymns. Um, so the oldest, most classic example of this is uh, Martin Luther in the song that he wrote that we still sing to this day, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. What our listeners might not know is that the tune that we still use to this day uh, that he put his words to, it, it was actually an adapted psalm that he was putting to a, a, a melody that the people of his time knew. In fact, it was a bar song. It was a song that people <laughs> used to sing kind of jigs in the bar as they swung their glasses back and forth. And he adapted it so that the people would know the music and all they had to do was learn this new set of words. Um, that, so Halal has done that in a modern way, where they will take an old hymn, uh, where you still know the, the old words to the song, but they've written new words to old music so that it's much easier to learn, uh, to learn the song. And I think we should encourage our listeners, not only for them to write songs, but to encourage other people to write songs. You don't have to know music. You don't know how to learn. You don't have to learn how to write new music. In order to write a new song, you can just write new words. Also, let me also do it this, the backwards way as well. Um, there are old songs, old words that have been put in, that have been put to new music so that they're more appropriate for a younger audience. Uh, one that's very popular right now is called, uh, Before the Throne of God Above. 
people are singing it and they're saying, wow, this sounds modern and new. Well, the words are about 130 years old. But because it's been put to new music, it now has a second life uh, to encourage the church again. Uh, you you uh, triggered a, a memory. Oh, well, sorry. It's not my memory, but it's a, a mem- it's one of your memories, Michael, that you've told me the story about when. Uh, in, to before I bring this up, it, what triggered it is your statement of words matter, or yeah, yeah. the words of the songs matter, and so there has been several times that. Um, religious songs have come into play where the words are just completely wrong. And the first one that I want to bring up is you were in middle school and the year is about 1998, seven. Sure. Uh, but there was a song a couple of years before uh, that had been popular. And uh, it was just a, a setting uh, during a devotional where it's, uh, whoever wants to lead a song can lead a song. And then this uh, seventh, seventh grade boy just uh, chimes in, What if God was one of us? Secular song about uh, God just being a regular mortal human being. Uh, just And who's the singer, Osborne? Uh, Joan Osborne. Uh, Joan Osborne Joan is Osborne. the actual uh, musician that wrote the song. I will not name the name of the person who actually tried to lead it for well, the, the, the sake principal, of their reputation. The principal quickly stopped that song said, uh, well, let's just sing regular devotional songs. But yes, that is a true story that happened. Um, let's use that as a transition into other songs that uh, perhaps we sing, but maybe the message isn't uh, or shouldn't be what that song uh, says, or we could also talk about good songs as well, but uh, let, let me go ahead and say, um, well, actually, I want to offer up one other song, um, one other fun song story. Uh, my whole life, I always thought that the song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder, I'll Be There, was actually a song about people uh, talking about a dinner roll, uh, because I didn't realize that they were talking about the role of people that are going into heaven. And so I was saying, why are they calling this dinner roll a pionder? What in the world is that? Uh, anyway, I was a little kid. It's just a classic misheard lyrics. Yes. Well done. Okay. okay. Um, I mean, there, I, there's a couple other secular songs that come to mind that have uh, been used in worship settings, at least where I've been around. Uh, um, the Eagles' Peaceful, Easy Feeling. I've heard that sung at several Surely not. youth group meetings. No, I'm serious. Um, and I believe even my father has mentioned that the Doobie Brothers, is Doobie Brothers uh, have the song Jesus is Just All Right? Yeah. Uh, no, uh, three dogs a night. Three dogs a night, right? I have no uh, clue. Possibly. That's Doobie Brothers, okay. yeah. So uh, there is plenty of other songs that are more um, mainstream within the church, though. I mean, these are these are really the outliers, the, the most blatantly... Um, unscriptural songs that we can think of, but there are some that are very subtle in the words that are actually used. Um, one that I'll let Michael get into, because I think I've heard him rant about it the most, is the song, Does He Still Feel the Nails? Michael, please give us your thoughts on that. So the 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 song that Stevens is, re- is referencing repeats that line several times throughout, and I'm sure most of our listeners have probably heard this, but 
basically the line goes, does he still fill the nails? Does Jesus still fill the nails of the cross every time I fail? Can he hear the crowd cry, crucify again? And while the sentiment of that song is very nice because it's challenging its listeners, the people who are singing it, to think about their sins as if it was putting Jesus on the cross, and that's exactly what our sins did, but it actually goes in the face of what Scripture actually says. Uh, Scripture tells us that Jesus died on the cross once for sins, that there was only one sacrifice that was needed. Um, so while the sentiment might be nice, it confuses some of the listeners uh, as to what is actually happening when they sin. So the song has been modified a bit uh, so that you can sing it and be scripturally correct at the same time. You sing it like this. Does he still feel the nails? No. Every time I fail. No, he doesn't. Can he hear the crowd cry yeah, crucify again? Okay. No, not at all. Okay, I'll stop. Wow. Um, okay. Uh, well, I'll, so I'll you bring just up use the, the breaks between uh, the lines to insert your rebuttal. It's, okay, it's the, the men lead and the women come back with the nose. So um, uh, let me offer up another one. Uh, so a, a classic hymn, uh, Holy, Holy, Holy. It was written by a, uh, a missionary, Reginald Heber. Um, and the original lyrics were putting forward th this revelation story of the Trinitarian God um, in all of his glory and splendor. Uh, of course, many of our listeners might not know that it's a Trinitarian song because people who did not believe in the Trinity, Unitarians, got a hold of the song and changed the lyrics such that many of our songbooks today have, the rather than ending with the line, God in three persons, blessed Trinity, now they sing, uh, God over all and blessed eternally. So I didn't sing that well, but the idea is that songs uh, are sometimes completely changed because the lyrics are considered to not be scripturally accurate. Uh, I think that that can go both ways. It can be changed from correct to wrong, in, which is the case there, or a song that's a little wrong could be changed to have better lyrics that more fit scripture. You know? Yeah, so um, that makes me think of two things. This is actually originally in response to Stephen about how, uh, yeah, so s some songs obviously have bad theology, and I think that can be misleading for the person singing it, for those around, um, and certainly don't want to be singing bad theology to God. Um, what is this theology you're lifting up to me? This is horrible. Um, but I I think it's important to note that um, the theology of a song, or our theology can't always be perfect, partly because, um, like, but among us, we probably differ on some sure. theological sure. points, and it would be hard to have a song that matches everyone. I'm thinking specifically of two of my favorite songs, uh, an older one, which is uh, Come Thou Fount, uh, which is actually an example of what Michael was just mm -hmm. saying, has a line about um, prone to, human depravity. Yeah, prone to wander. Yeah, prone to wander. Lord, I Thank feel you. It. Prone to leave the God I love. Yeah. And um, that song has several different versions of it. And you've probably sang, because every line or every, there's no chorus, um, you've probably sang several different versions of it and never even realized it. 
Um, but that, that line is taken out of many of those versions uh, because a lot of people don't like the theology of um, depraved humans prone to wonder, leave the God they love. Um, but generally, the, the theology of that song and the, the lyrics of it are rich in meaning and something to be appreciated, even if you don't like that one line. Another example that's more modern is the popular song In Christ Alone, another theologically rich song that I think um, is one of one of the best songs in recent decades that uh, Christians have written and uh, often sing. But that is another song. We had a podcast recently about the atonement, and I think maybe the two of y'all, uh, I'll try not to put words in your mouth, but y'all liked the atonement theory, penal substitution. Y'all favorite that. And in Christ Alone, a great song, has more of a Christus Victor theology in its atonement. And it would be a real shame to lose such a valuable song um, because we don't like uh, the nuances of one of the verses. Um, Now, obviously, again, if it gets real bad if, if it permeates the entire song maybe it's a song that you ought to leave or edit but i think that's an important thing to remember in this discussion well i'm glad you brought that up so i'll be able to strike that from our order of worship this next week <laughs> the song uh days of elijah there's a couple um uh, just completely incorrect uh just biblical facts that are presented in that song the first one, and I'm, I'm I'm drawing a blank on the second one, but the first one is that David rebuilding the temple of praise. Well, first of all, the temple had not been built yet, and second of all, he did not build it in the first place. It was Solomon, his son. Um, so that was one, and I'm trying to remember what the second one was. Brief interjection. I agree with you, and I think that's a poor line. I've heard it defended, though, so, and so right. to the at the song's defense that the temple of praise is a metaphor for renewing Israel. But that, that is, you you have to jump through some theological hula hoops in order to get to that interpretation of the song. That's why when I sing the song, I like to sing. These are the days of Zerubbabel rebuilding the temple of praise. The best version. Yeah, Yeah. Um, or you could say Yeshua because he, he directed the men. And the only reason I know that is because I'm reading Ezra right now. I'll offer up a new one uh, that I heard a friend reference um, that I had never heard. I had never thought about this as being incorrect uh, theologically, but uh, and I believe this is also the second lo- the second verse of another song. So it just I guess all second verses are theologically suspect. But uh, you you've heard the line before. Uh, please reveal your will to me so I can serve you for eternity. And my friend, whenever he would, we would sing this song, he would actually lead it, but he would say before he started the song, I'd, I'd like for us to change the words to the second line. Instead of saying, please reveal, we need to sing, you have revealed your will to me so that I can serve you for eternity. Uh, it, it changes the way you think about it, that am I asking God to share a new revelation with me or am I directing myself to actually go to scripture and to see what God has already told me to do because he's been quite clear. Here's a, a, an idea I want to throw out to y'all is um, lyrics that you may agree with, but um, 
maybe the music is suspect. The song that y'all um, y'all are undoubtedly familiar with, and probably our listeners too, is "Jesus is Coming Soon," and the line in the chorus that many will meet their doom uh, said in three four speed or whatever. I, I don't know song speeds. I'm just making <laughs> unless you're up. Kirk Cameron. Um, and yeah, it, the, uh, the, the up, the upbeat tempo of the song is very optimistic, um, with that line. And, um, I think that it's reasonable for people to be somewhat offended by that. Not personally offended, but to find something wrong with that way of singing that line. Just somebody that had a theology of just denying the existence of hell. Well, no, so you can still, uh, ex- so that that would be an even that would be another issue, as if you just say, "Hey, this line is wrong." But I'm saying, even if you agree with that line, that many will in fact meet their doom. Um, having a song where you uh, sing that with glee. a sort of optimism, um, yeah, or glee, then that then well, let let me give. I'm gonna. Do a name drop real quick. Uh, the the first time I heard someone complain about that song was our old youth minister Ryan Inlow, and he said he he really didn't like singing the song because uh, he knew people uh, people who were very close to him who if Jesus came right now would go to hell, and he did not want to sing uh, about gleefully uh, thanking the Lord for coming now. In especially uh, right next to the idea that many people will meet their doom, um, and just to offer a general complaint, there these are often referred to as Stamps Baxter songs because that's the names of the guys that wrote a lot of them. They're kind of like a barbershop quartet songs that were written back in the 30s and 40s, and we sing a lot of them because they're fun to sing, but they often give inappropriate glee to songs that are more theologically uh, serious, serious than they uh, than the music would lead us to believe. Let me offer up another one. Um, so this is another Isaac Watts song uh, that many of us know the words to, Alas, and did my Savior bleed. And if you just sing the, uh, the verses of the song, uh, then it's a very somber song. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die. And it's, it's, it's theologically reflective. But someone came along a couple hundred years later and said, this could use an upbeat chorus. Uh, and then, and so now we sing, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. And if you know the, you know, if you know that these are not connected to each other, you might question, like, what's going on here? This, these are two mixed emotions that, uh, it just doesn't lend itself to being reflective when you add on that little extra bit. So, mm. um, yeah. yeah. Any other? We don't want to be all negative. Uh, we'll we'll switch over here to what are some of our favorite hymns and what are you know some rich theological songs that we should focus on. But any other thoughts on songs that just get your goat? I mean, if I had a goat, if you had a goat, it would get it. All I got are just songs that annoy me. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, so let's go ahead and end our podcast today with what are some rich uh, theologically rich hymns that uh, every Christian should know and that we want to make sure that uh, the church is singing for hundreds of years to come 
guys, do y'all, do y'all have a favorite song? I'll, I'll jump in. It's one that you've already mentioned. Uh, listen to our hearts. Uh, listen to our hearts. The reason that's one of my favorite songs is because it's a direct communication with God. And I find that my worship is more personal and, uh, and I can actually worship God and give him praise when I'm talking directly to him. I do understand that there is also a benefit from having a congregational encouraging or encouragement uh, uh, comes through our praise and worship too, where we sing hymns uh, amongst ourselves. And some of those are also contribute worship to God as well. Uh, but the listen to our hearts, I like it. Just the, the melody is great uh, too, but the direct uh, speaking to God really uh, it, it moves my heart, and I hope that whenever I am singing that, that God can feel that I do have love for Him when I'm doing those actions. Stephen, I think that's a I really like that because though I th- like I think of middle school and church camp growing up when I think of that song, it, it really is a very well uh, written song for personal reflection and the dynamic that is happening in singing hymns to God, um, something that you maybe don't always see in some newer songs. Um, so uh, mine, I, I, before I say mine, I, I want to say we, we've talked a lot about uh, the songs we don't like and what should be going on in worship service. And I just want to reiterate the idea that songs are a powerful force in the church. Our songs shape our theology. Oftentimes, um, very smart, very wise men are writing the songs of the church, and they and help and women and and women. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. And they are helping push the church in directions that they need to go or address problems that the church have at that uh, certain time. Um, and so, songs are are powerful, and because of their their lyrics, and I think. For that reason, we need, as Christians and as uh, or leaders in congregations, to be choosing songs for our congregants that are theologically astute and um, have rich lyrics. Uh, that said, I, I want to point to a, a, not a modern song to push this forth, forward, but a, a very old song. Uh, in fact, I've heard it said in many hymn books, it's the oldest song in there. Uh, oh, Sacred Head. Uh, oh, Sacred Head, I believe, is written by Bernard of Clairvaux. Monk, Michael may know more about it. But um, anyways, the, the song is clearly about the passion of, uh, of Christ, his death. And the, the lyrics are, I think, beautiful. And um, I have few, if any, theological qualms with them, but I think they are uh, inspiring. And uh, one of the best examples of um, the beauty of older hymns and the beauty that can be found in a song uh, by the artists that have come together, the poets that have created those songs for us. And I think it's worthy of our admiration and should be sung um, for years to come. That is my wife's favorite song, and it, they don't get much better than that. Just uh, it takes you right there uh, when you sing it. Uh, a great song right before communion. So we've talked about my favorite hymn 
is Come Thou Fount. Uh, it's been rewritten to where people are singing it in a new way uh, these days, but that is my favorite song. Uh, but it's not the best song ever. Um, I, I would I would say, and I'm stealing this uh, from from a preacher who I'll reference in a second, but uh, who I will reference in a second. But uh, the greatest song ever written is another one that we've already talked about, uh, called "When I Survey the Wondrous Cross." Um, every single word in that uh, deserves to to be contemplated. Um, and in fact, one of the best sermons I've ever heard was a preacher just going word by word through there. Um, and to any of our listeners who want to hear that sermon, uh, Google Jerry Rushford, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And uh, it might not be the first link, but a couple down, uh, a couple down, you'll find an audio clip of a 30 minute sermon of him going line by line through that song. And it's amazing to me that um, how each word just lights up uh, a, the way that Watts was thinking about, once again, the, the passion of Christ, that uh, as he hung on the tree, um, why he used all of those words. But I also want to say this, that uh, even though that song is a couple hundred years old, um, it actually has the same message as another song that we've referenced, uh, In Christ Alone. That's a new song. It's less than 20 years old. Uh, it was written by people who are still alive today. And that is a continuation of uh, hymn writing that we will be singing for another 100, 200, 300 years. And so I think that should be encouragement to our listeners, uh, the, the children of our listeners, whoever you can talk to, that uh, hymns are not something that were written in the past, but it is a continual process of something that the church should continue to do today. Um, but in, in addition to everything that we've already said, the best song is the song that you'll sing. Um, if you are someone who doesn't like singing, then find a song you do like and make sure and sing it with all of your heart because as Stephen referenced earlier, God is listening to your heart. Um, and the heart that truly sings out to God is the heart that is blessing God. I've got one more thing. Uh, listeners, we want you guys to be engaged with us. We want your feedback. Michael said that, well, he basically presented his favorite song. Um, and we want to know what your favorite songs are. Uh, so please, um, if you are have befriended us on Facebook or Twitter, um, I'm almost hesitant to... Or in real life. <laughs> or Yes, or in real life. We, um, I don't know if there's any outside uh, listeners that at least I'm not aware of. Make yourself known. I'd like to get to know you. But please, uh, we'll put some uh, posts out there uh, uh, once we post this podcast, and we would like to get your feedback on what your favorite songs are, which ones mean... Uh, uh, or have more special value with you. So please uh, engage with us and uh, give us your feedback. And if we dogged on any of your favorite hymns, let us know. That's it for today. We'll have a brand new episode for you next week. Check out our blog at religionandstory.wordpress.com and leave us your feedback. See you next time.